0: It's not just political terms that are blocked. Uh, it's other terms as well. For example, the term "one night stand" uh, has been blocked on Weibo.
1: When we think of censorship in the Chinese media, we obviously think of um, you know, scandals and stories about corruption, um, you know, political overthrows, uh, religious cults. But it might be surprising to some folks that other key topics that are, uh, broad topics that are blocked on Weibo include things about, you know, sex, drugs, you know, not rock and roll, but other sorts of prurient interests. And you know, One Night Stand falls under the uh, uh, attempts to prevent spiritual pollution.
0: Hi, I'm Raihan Salam, and this is The Vice Podcast Show. We're joined today by Jason Ng, a research fellow at the University of Toronto's Citizen Lab and author, most recently, of Blocked on Weibo. Jason, China has 1.2 billion people and 600 million active internet users. And my understanding is that a pretty big chunk of those 600 million are interacting with uh, Weibo. Can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah.
1: Um yeah, Weibo is probably the most important social media website in China at the moment. Um, it started in 2009, August 2009, but it didn't really find its feet, at least in the way that we think of it, uh, until like the summer of 2011 when there was this horrific train crash, this high-speed train crash in Wenzhou. And the, the speed and the activity, how quickly people took to Weibo to start to... Hillary, the, the officials who were in charge of the, the cleanup, in charge of the uh, oversight of the train crash, it was just stunning to watch um, this supposedly repressed society come out and have this sort of active discussion. It was just fascinating to watch. And it was from there that we started to see the rise of Wave truly in the following year and the way that it brought down local officials and the way that it uh, started various sorts of protests um, in different cities across the country against chemical factories against uh, corruption. And today, it's probably the place to go
0: to if you want to catch the pulse of the Chinese internet population. So when you're talking about 600 million internet users in China, how many of them are using the big Weibo platforms?
1: Yeah, I think uh, last that uh, last check, it was of roughly three or four hundred million uh, registered accounts. Uh, unfortunately, registered accounts doesn't necessarily equate active users. So, that uh, last check, it was between 50 to 100 million daily active users, which sounds like a lot. But when you think about it, uh, Facebook, I think, is up to 700 million active users. But... Um, so it's dwarfed. But by that's
0: on a user base say, in the neighborhood of four billion, something like that. Right. Exactly. That's an exaggeration, but but so you know that's that's a good chunk. And also, there are it many is. people who are presumably passive users of the service. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And especially not just folks within China, uh, but also
1: these passive users are around the world. We have um, news outlets in uh, the U.S., in the U.K., and around the world who actively monitor Weibo as a way to get a sense of what's happening actually on the ground in different places in China. Certainly. Uh, Weibo isn't a perfect analog for, for the population itself it's you know skewed towards younger users skewed toward more educated users but certainly it's better than say watching the CCTV which is the state televisions evening news um, to get a sense of what's actually happening in the country um, it's for the most part, more unfiltered than other sorts of media in China.
0: And it also facilitates the diffusion of ideas. So, you know, you have an idea emerging in one Chinese city, and then it's a platform, even with passive users, just observing the trends in another city as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a national thing. It, it's uh, not some, you know, specifically Beijing or Shanghai, but certainly it's certainly more concentrated in, in affluent urban areas. But this is, for the most part, a national place of dialogue. And I think that truly makes it one of the unique social media websites in countries that have restricted internet. Um, uh, for the most part, places like Iran don't have this sort of vast national level uh, venue for people to speak and share information.
0: It's interesting uh, the fact that they allow something like this to flourish, uh, you know, given the, the potential it might have to kind of sow dissent. But one thing I wonder about is that when you're looking at the dominant Social networks. Uh, they have uh, globalized very rapidly. So, for example, if you look at Facebook, you know Facebook had many. Uh, formidable competitors in many other countries that it eventually displaced. Uh, so, you know, if you, Brazil, Germany, many places had Facebook clones, uh, social networks that serve many similar purposes, yet, you know, that that didn't actually survive that competition over time. Uh, yet, uh, oh, Twitter, you know, launched, I believe it was 2006. This service launched in 2009. Yet, uh, Weibo, uh, Sina Weibo, remains the dominant platform. So, uh, tell us a little bit about that. The fact that these kind of dominant U.S. social networks uh, have not been able to make inroads into China. I imagine it's a, a very deliberate uh, policy choice.
1: Yeah, deliberate policy choi- choice choice uh, on both ends. Uh, for the most part, yeah, as you mentioned, Chinese or U.S. companies have certainly saw, saw the Chinese market as this potential gold mine of users of revenue. But unfortunately, they haven't been able to crack it or both for their personal reason, for their own reasons, but also because uh, the Chinese government in many ways has Enacted barriers on entry, uh, so Twitter actually was usable in China before uh, roughly 2009-2010. Uh, but unfortunately, due to various political events within the country, uh, the, uh, the U.S. Uh, the Chinese government actually added Twitter to the Great Firewall, the list of websites that users within China, uh, on main, within mainland China, can't actually access. So these are foreign websites like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. And this is not only for uh, controlling of content, certainly they don't want these outside companies to um, to be reachable to users and have them uh, you know, find the latest information about um, how to take down the government, or how to start a revolution in the country, but also for uh, economic reasons. Uh, so there's
0: also a protectionist dimension. Yeah. They want to cultivate uh, indigenous companies rather than just allow foreign companies that are already dominant to kind of come into their sandbox.
1: Exactly. And it's, for again, for two reasons. Not only to support it, the growth of these uh, local companies like Sina and Tencent for uh, economic Purposes, purposes to make them these global economic superpowers, but also because these local companies are easier to control. Um, if they're locally based, what you can do is compel them to comply with local laws. You can actually take down their servers. You could uh, threaten uh, managers or uh, executives with potential punishments, fines. So, in many ways, uh, having a local uh, analog for these uh, services that would normally be able to enter into foreign markets allows the Chinese government to basically control the flow of information in a much easier fashion.
0: And in fairness to the Chinese government, it certainly is true that when you're looking at uh, US-based multinationals, uh, there seems to be a reasonable amount of evidence that the US government has a fair bit of leverage over those business enterprises. And so, you know, if I were a Chinese official, not even necessarily a paranoid Chinese official, I might think by giving access to these US-based multinationals, I am perhaps indirectly giving backdoor access to the US government as well.
1: Yeah, that's that's again a security issue that we've seen not just in China but all around the world, especially in light of the Snowden revelations. So you see, Brazil uh, threatening various tech companies in the U.S., saying, "Look, we can't have." potential um, siphoning off of information. So you must store the data within our own country so we can protect it. So China, uh, in many ways, the Snowden revelations have given China China a lot of ammunition to sort of give cover to a lot of the things that they're doing uh, already. And um, it's uh, very interesting to see how that'll play
0: out. Let's talk a bit more about the Great Firewall, a term that you you hear pretty often. So when you think about the internet and the origins of the internet, the idea is you know, kind of this big, decentralized, or, or the web specifically, big, decentralized, peer-to-peer system uh, that was supposed to be extremely difficult to control. I mean, you know, part of the idea was that you know, this was going to be a very robust, very resilient uh, you know, means of communicating information from one place to another, and yet it seems as though the Great Firewall has actually worked remarkably well. So tell me a bit about it and, and about its origins. Uh, was the Great Firewall something that you know began when the Internet started achieving mass penetration in China? Uh, but you know, tell us a bit about its origins.
1: Yeah. Uh, the Great Firewall is this sort of um, you know, general term for how China controls flow of information from outside of its country into mainland China. Um, of course, it this isn't unique to to China. Every country forms some sort of uh, has internet regulations on the books that controls, you know, what sort of information is al- is perhaps illegal within the country.
0: What is interesting is that China's t- so the U.S. will try to control, yeah. for example, internet gambling mm-hmm. or you know perhaps the Pirate Bay right. or kind of various other
1: exactly. So, but what's particularly interesting about China is that they've enacted all sorts of technical barriers for a lot of these things, not only using legal avenues to try and take down. Potentially serve uh, notice to different sites about illegal content that might be on there, but also to, just to strictly prevent people from within the country to access information. So, providing these technical barriers, um, and which many other countries would consider, uh, which would consider this content. Um, which would deem it safe and, and acceptable. So that's that's the rub. Uh, where do we draw this line between what's acceptable and unacceptable? And clearly, uh, well, apparently, the, the Chinese have drawn it uh, perhaps far too much on one side. But, yeah, so the, they have these technical barriers. What we mentioned, they, uh, so folks within mainland China can't access uh, Google, Facebook, YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but what's um, more perhaps um, uh, pervasive is this internal uh, uh censorship, uh, the so-called golden shield. So again, that's what we talked about. The internal companies within China are compelled to comply with local laws. And from there, uh, that's where most of the information control takes place.
0: So these are discrete concepts. The Great Firewall is one concept kind of about blocking information from the outside or kind of guaranteeing that the information that comes from the outside is you know, kind of carefully controlled, and the golden shield is uh, this kind of richer set of controls uh, that Tell me about—this must be very labor-intensive. Is that fair to say? I mean, are there a lot of bodies? Are there a lot of officials? I imagine also we don't know very much about it, but tell me a little bit about what we do know.
1: Yeah. My my dream is to basically find a, um, I don't know, just carry a bag of money and go into China and find a sensor and basically have them do a tell-all book. But barring that, what we can do is perform various sorts of monitoring and testing. So the, the lab, I'm at the Citizen Lab, and various other places do this sort of thing to see basically how many sensors, how many people, how many bodies do you need to actually do this sort of censorship that we're seeing. Um, so there's been there was a great uh, research paper put out by folks from I believe uh, University of Texas. I wanted to, but uh, but uh, it was called the Vel- Velocity of Censorship, and it's fascinating where they make uh, assumptions on based on what they've seen how many sensors are actually performing uh, this sort of filtering on sites like Weibo and their guess was somewhere between maybe 1000 maybe maybe less than that and actually there's Reuters article just came out a couple of uh, months ago wherein they actually talked to and interviewed these censors who are in Tianjin which is a city just outside Beijing and essentially what they came up with was there're several hundred people in this one single office that are doing the entire censorship for the entire country uh, just on my personal level, that seems a little low, but, uh, but the reporting seems pretty uh, accurate and the description of the office is just really scary to think that there are basically a few hundred folks who are, with the assistance of computer algorithms, basically controlling the flow of information on this entire social media website, which is just truly um, a massive sprawling place.
0: That actually brings to I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but you talk so your book, uh, you know, in it you're identifying various terms that have been blocked on Weibo, Weibo, uh, and uh, and basically explaining why, offering theories as to why they might have been blocked. And one of them uh, brings to mind the idea of this personnel question. Uh, so it seems that you know because. There's such a huge volume of things that might prove problematic uh, that, to some extent, you'd want to crowdsource this. So there's a term referring to uh, the 50-cent uh, gang, is that right? Uh, t- tell us a little bit about these, these people.
1: Right. It's the 50-cent party, which is sort of Cent like a, a jokey reference to the Communist Party. So, like this is a separate party that's uh, uh, sprung up to actually help the Communist Party in uh, filtering and cleaning up the internet. Um, and is this something
0: we know about for sure? Is this just kind of a, a rumor? Or is this something the government has acknowledged really does exist?
1: The government acknowledges that they that it's an important aspect of the 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 pieces of uh, regulations that help them uh, clean up the internet. Certainly. So. Um, it's less clear actually whether or not they actually receive 50 cent each of the, that's the purported yep. uh, amount of money that each member receives for posting a positive comment about China or a critical comment about folks who are against China um, I don't know if people I don't know how much money the government's mailing out 50 cents at a time but they actually do have people on staff who are like uh, these uh, analysts who basically monitor social media and uh, whether or not they're employed in a, officially by the government or whether they're contracted certainly these Positions have been publicly acknowledged in uh, state papers. Uh, there was a recent article in the uh, Global Times which mentioned how uh, they are now like an official body, and uh, or not an official body, but they've served in uh, in capacities which clearly are propaganda purposes. And um, but I think it's more interesting that rather rather than simply. Uh, like identify a, um, a specific organization or a specific department in, uh, that's doing this. What they've done, the government in some ways hasn't actually crowdsourced it to not just a, a single uh, party but to basically uh, all citizens because most citizens of China, for the most part, are very proud to be Chinese. They, Despite all the immense corruption and despite the growing inequality, folks are proud to be uh, Chinese and you see this in national surveys and whatnot. And Oftentimes, if they see comments that are against the government or against uh, the country, they'll come in and jump in and post positive comments, re- regardless of whether or not
0: they're paid by the government. That's just what they believe. That's just what they So, feel. in a way, the, the fifty cent party term is something that's kind of a catch all that people can use to discredit, you know, right. kind of a larger group of people. Some of whom might actively, you know, be working for the government, but many others are people who just are, are kind of happy to kind of tamp down this kind of criticism. Right. So, in a way when you're talking about the censorship it has to be it's 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 actually not that crude sometimes it can be about channeling opinion in one direction rather than another and intervening in a kind of not so heavy-handed way but to kind of bend the conversation in one direction rather than another is that a fair yeah absolutely
1: uh, in many in the perception of, of censorship in repressive places, well, repressive places, you know, relative to perhaps the U.S., is that this is very heavy-handed. It's the government top-down, you know, laying the smack down, issuing orders and decrees. And to some extent, there, there are these sorts of things. Um, China Digital Times, which is this uh, website that which tracks uh, censorship in China and various other things, um, they actually received these uh, leaked documents, which they call directives from the Ministry of Truth, and they actually are these sort of weekly uh, decrees from the government saying, all right, this is to media organizations with the country saying, all right, this is how we're going to treat this topic uh, this week. But for the most part, uh, certainly it's much more nuanced than that. And I think uh, the complexity of it hopefully is uh, shown through in my book. And
0: so one thing I wonder about is that when you're looking at Chinese media traditionally, my understanding is that the censorship even then was decentralized. So you know, what would happen is that if I want to start a magazine, I have to acquire a license. And this license could be from the, you know, on Province Cultural Workers Committee, something like that and then they give me their certification uh, you know maybe I purchased it from them, something like that. And so in a way, They serve as a kind of quasi sensor because they don't want you to embarrass them, so that someone there has to answer to somebody else. Um, You know, whereas when you're talking about 600 million internet users, it certainly sounds as though the Chinese government decided we can't give up on this economic opportunity. It's too big. The decentralized nature of this network is part of what makes it a great generative platform for entrepreneurs and others. So we can't. Work this the way that we did print publications or whatever else. We need to allow for some level of danger potentially. We just need. So, so it sounds like that was actually a pretty sophisticated decision. They were like, we can't control this completely. Is that is that a fair characterization of their attitude right. as you understand it? Yeah, yeah. And and if you look at it,
1: these actual companies that are actually uh, serving up the the services, so Sina or Tencent or whatever. They they have an incentive to actually promote this sort of you know uh, dangerous speech that we would uh, think of uh, for the government because it's you, viral it's viral you want people to come back you want eyeballs you want people to start discussing and so they have that uh, angle that they have to uh, try and service they want the, certainly their their users are their customers but in many ways their their other customer is the government because uh, the government can certainly step in at any time and say, hey, you've gone too far, this is the end of it, we're no longer allowing you to
0: continue. It also seems that China, uh, Xi Jinping, the kind of new paramount leader, who seems to be consolidating his authority in all kinds of ways, has in the past Talked about the internet and the use of the internet as a tool that might be able to contain corruption. So it seems that you know there's some recognition on the part of the government too that this can be used to um, for more constructive purposes as well to kind of maybe contain public discontent.
1: That's correct. Uh, corruption has been one of the key platforms in Xi's uh, new administration, and in many respects, it's. Uh Brought down numerous uh, folks, and the most recent one, Zhou Yongkang, who is now under house arrest, for, and he was a close ally of Bo Xilai, the the former head of Chongqing. So it's paying dividends. Certainly, the the this anti-corruption platform and folks, you know, assisting bringing down local officials. And however, the last couple of months have been quite dispiriting for folks uh, who view the internet as as uh, who view. Cor- the, this corruption platform as a way to give uh, free speech activists an opening via the internet, because uh, they've actually targeted some of these uh, anti-corruption activists. And uh, whereas in the past they would encourage these anti-corruption activists on the internet, they've been starting to crack down. There was a guy who um, his big thing was posting uh, pictures of officials wearing luxury wristwatches, <laughs> and it was fascinating because obviously you know the, this this local. Right. Official, How did you
0: afford that watch? Right. Right. So, right, right.
1: So. In many ways, that was the it was perfect, a of, perfect example of what Susan Payne wanted to
0: support, but all of a
1: sudden, now he was just, arrested. Just
0: a bit more about that example specifically, because it seems like a really good case. So my understanding, my, my recollection is that there was someone who died in a kind of vehicular homicide, and then there was a traffic enforcement officer who was just very brusque and not very helpful, and it turns out that he was wearing a very expensive watch. Is that, is that roughly what happened? Yeah, that's exactly the one
1: I, Yeah, he's known so, as smiling brother or brother watch.
0: Yeah, that's what and, it. and so was that later censored? Was that something, or was that something that was allowed to propagate and spread?
1: That's very interesting. See, this is among the push and pulls of these local uh, these private internet companies. They they're not sure where exactly to draw the line certainly. And it's it's a it's not a it's not a bug that the government doesn't tell these private companies exactly what to do. It's a feature because by not specifically laying out exactly, you know, what is disruptive to the social order, which is one of the tenants that uh, these local uh, private companies have to abide by. What they do is force private companies to to make decisions to say, all right, Where do we draw the line? Um, What does the government want? We're not sure, so we're going to
0: over-censor. If the government said, here are a hundred terms, you'd better not allow these to be seen anywhere, you'd better not allow these terms to be published, then it would be trivial. It Mm -hmm. would be extremely easy for the companies. And then, of course, people being creative and innovative in various ways would come up with other terms they could use that kind of, uh, or, you know, whatever, use Cyrillic script or or kind of whatever else. Whereas by not telling you, by giving you this vague mandate, you have to figure it out yourself to keep those guys happy.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And and with the example of um that uh the anti-corruption stuff, what you'll find is that the these private companies are are constantly forced to uh dis, to waver and basically see how things play out and sometimes the government will then step in either whether it's the uh, national government more often times maybe more lower level of wrongs maybe the provincial or our local officials who will, will basically, you know, bug their bug web and say, hey, we gotta tamp down on this, otherwise it'll cause um, you know, a fear
0: So so one way of thinking about it is that if I'm uh criticizing the corruption of a, of a particular official and say boy you know i'm glad that oh. xi jinping and the communist party are out there to cramp, you know crack down mm-hmm. on this kind of corruption that's one thing whereas to say that this corruption is pervasive bring down the communist party i mean yeah. those are two very different statements right. and the former might be something that is actually seen as a useful escape valve whereas you want to prevent the former from becoming the latter
1: yeah and that's why it's so important to have the human element involved these human censors who have these algorithms that try and dis- figure out, uh, uh, basically flag messages and then they go through and they actually go through them and, and, and delete messages individually
0: if need be. However, and you might do that after the fact too. Yeah. The message has already been published, it's mm-hmm. gone up, right. and then you get to it using this algorithm, someone used this tool, and then so 24 hours later they might delete it. Right,
1: although sometimes messages are stuck in queue and then you could actually delete them before they go in. But it's very interesting to see that there are different researchers who have different opinions on on how they actually go about implementing this. So uh, Gary King uh, at Harvard has uh, has a great paper, has two great papers along with his associates about the different ways that uh, they, how they see censorship taking place across the internet. And uh, their theory is that For the most part, you could criticize the Chinese government, but uh, anything that touches on basically creating collective action, street protests, demonstrations, organizing, that's where they actually do the most of the clamping down. Um, I think other folks are a little more, um, are are not quite sure exactly how much uh, criticism is allowed, but uh, certainly on Weibo, by looking at the censored keywords and by looking at the censored keywords in other different uh, chat applications and other Uh, social media platforms, what we see is that criticism of the government is still very much uh, controlled.
0: So your book is a compendium of terms that have at various points been blocked on uh, Weibo. you know, this is, a, this is something that changes over time, new terms are added, et cetera. It seems like they're very flexible, but let's go through some of these terms. Uh, one of the terms is May 35th, and as you and I both know, May 35th is not, in fact, a real date. But So, so why would May 35th be blocked?
1: Yeah, uh, we could just do some uh, basic addition here. So May 31st, May 32nd would be June 1st. May 30, oh, yikes, I'm doing already well right, failing. now. <laughs> May 33rd would be uh, June 2nd, so and then you get to May 35th is June 4th, which uh, if you're not familiar, June 4, 1989, was this uh, notorious day in Chinese history wherein uh, tanks were ordered into Tiananmen Square to uh, clear out these uh, student demonstrators and other uh, demonstrators who were uh, uh, basically trying to promote political reform within the Chinese Communist Party. And unfortunately, there was much bloodshed um, and it has gone down as as this day
0: that the Chinese government has tried to scrub off the internet. So, um, so it, June fourth is definitely going to be blocked, but May thirty fifth was a clever way around that, and then they caught and then on they caught to out. it.
1: Yeah. So this is this is the sort of thing. Um, a lot of the keywords that I find that I uncover through this um, the different through these different uh, sort of uh, ways of deciphering them, um, it's it's interesting to see that a lot of them are really code words, and and it's. Uh, these are already internet activists, and and, and uh, you know. Folks who have already thought of ways to get around the censorship, of the censors have caught up. So this is an example of basically how uh, the censors are constantly on their guard to catch up and uncover different ways that people are trying to discuss uh, sensitive topics. It's interesting
0: because it makes you think that the censors themselves are in some cases going to be pretty savvy people yeah. who are part of the same cultural networks and kind of understand. Um, so some of the terms are, are quite peculiar or certainly peculiar to American ears. For example, the term hairy bacon. <laughs> What is hairy bacon?
1: Uh, it's certainly something you don't want to eat. Um, hairy bacon. So uh, in, in Chinese, it's pronounced mao lao, And uh, literally, mao means hair, lao means a uh, Jerky or sausage or preserved meat. So um, again, this is another coded keyword because clearly hairy bacon itself doesn't seem like a sensitive term until so you decipher it. So uh, Mao is not just hair, but also a different sort of Mao um, uh, surname for Mao Zedong. And laro is uh, not just uh, meat that you eat, but also a different sort of preserved meat, uh, his body which is laid in state in a mausoleum in outside Tiananmen Square. Sounds
0: incredibly disrespectful. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah that's. I think that's probably what the censors thought too. Um, what's particularly notable about this is that it's so um, mostly obscure. Um, I think it, I noted that it was uh, censored um, more than a year and a half ago. And when I tried looking it up, there was very few usages of it just in the general Internet. Um, However, I did, you know, after much searching and, you know, after discussing with native speakers um, about what it might mean, and they didn't quite know either. Eventually, I found a recipe for how to uh, make Malaro, and that's how I uncovered it. But it's such an obscure word that, that it's curious that the censors, you know, censor this despite the fact that it was so rarely used, and it's just sort of like a stray effect going on here, and that um, this is a word that's almost been given prominence because it's been censored, um, and. The only way that I uncovered it was through the fact that it was being censored so um, and now it 's a common meme now You'll, uh, I think China Digital Times just posted uh, images of people you know, posting strips of bacon as a reference to um, Mao Laro.
0: And, oh, and photographs are presumably harder to censor than text.
1: You would think so, but uh, obviously the Chinese government has resources. They've been throwing at the problem, and right. for a while, actually,
0: people were... But it's the, the same way that Google is going to try to filter certain offensive images. Yeah. Similarly, there could be some algorithm that's able to detect certain patterns and shapes.
1: Right, yeah, so one of the earliest ways that people tried to get around the censors was to embed uh, text, like Chinese characters, within images, envisioning that that would be harder for censors to actually uncover. But, Obviously, as technology has, has, has uh, kept pace, the, the sensors have figured this out, and there are different ways that they do Why this. would the word
0: Bloomberg be blocked?
1: Oh, uh, and this, uh, outside of the fact that very recently that the, the whole Bloomberg debacle essentially about how uh, Bloomberg uh, spiked these stories about China and how that's a scandal. Uh, despite uh, this, this actually block took place well before that. Um, it took place, I think roughly two years ago, and I wasn't quite sure at the time why Bloomberg was being targeted because many, a number of other uh, media outlets, uh, for the most part, were uh, searchable on Sino you know, Weibo, but uh, that one wasn't. However, um, you know, in the coming in the months after, it became more clear that uh, Bloomberg has actually been doing quite a bit of enterprising China journalism, investigative journalism, including a story about Xi Jinping's family wealth. So that was uh, one example of why they would want to uh, block searches for Bloomberg. And now, of course, Bloomberg is a super hot topic. The website was uh, blocked in China. Um, and I believe that their, uh, the journalist visas are still being held up. Um, so, um, oh no, that was Reuters and New York Times, sorry. Uh, but. Clearly, the control of foreign media is a major uh, uh, deal for uh Sina Weibo and the
0: Chinese authorities. The, the term Bo Xilai is blocked, and what I find interesting about that is that you know this is an enormously important story, uh, and you know it seems like a very difficult. It seems very difficult to kind of try to contain discussion about this. But tell me a bit about the the thinking around that. Yeah,
1: uh, what's particularly interesting about "Bosilai" is that right now it's actually unblocked. So, um, you know, obviously it's still a sensitive term, so that gives. Clear evidence that's uh, and
0: Bo Lai was the party secretary of Chongqing, a yeah. city of over thirty million in the heart of China, and he was seen as someone uh, who was offering an alternative to the existing Chinese government and its ideology, and he became quite popular because oh. of it.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and he, that's you know perhaps he got too popular, and uh, and his his method of uh, of self promotion, I guess, which is what. Uh, the other party leaders claimed that he was doing, uh, brought him down because essentially he was trying to, in some ways, work outside the party. Um, but they technically got him on corruption and you know, womanizing, and his his wife uh, was uh, alleged and later convicted of murdering this British national. So he's clearly a sensitive, sensitive topic. Uh, he's unblocked on Weibo right his now. His son
0: reportedly drives Ferraris. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, sure,
1: I'm sure. I'm like I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. that uh, most major politicians, mm-hmm. you know, just children. Have uh, quite expensive taste. But yeah, he's unblocked right now. But if you actually search for uh, him on Weibo, you, you won't see, you know, uh, Boshi Lai messages that are too supportive of him. Uh, that sort of material is still being censored. But yeah, it's interesting because Boshi Lai, if you look at the, uh, the history of his name, whether or not it was blocked it goes through these fascinating periods where the government and or Weibo, we're not sure who's ordering, who, who who's deciding what at this point. Um, you could see that his name goes from unblocked to blocked at various key junctures of the scandals. And we just produced this infographic at uh, the Citizen Lab uh, that shows how these offline events are very much related to the censorship going on online. So for instance, he's blocked on Weibo, uh, for
0: 2012,
1: beginning of 2013, there's this. The scandal begins. He's unblocked for a brief period, but then he's reblocked, and then going on forth, it goes flips back and forth. It's
0: almost as though there's a thermostat, and if yeah. it gets too hot, you block it, yeah. and if it cools down, then you unblock it. It's right. uh, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's not just political terms that are blocked. Uh, it's other terms as well. For example, the term "one night stand" uh, has been blocked on YBod. Tell us a bit about that.
1: Yeah, so um, obviously we think of uh, when we think of censorship in the Chinese media, we obviously think of um, you know, scandals and stories about corruption, um, you know, political overthrows, uh, religious cults. But it might be surprising to some folks that other key topics that are, are broad topics that are blocked on Weibo include things about you know sex, drugs, you know, not rock and roll, but other sorts of prurient interests, uh, and uh, certainly one night stand falls under the sex category. Um, China's in many ways- uh, Rock and roll is blocked sometimes, like the band Pangu <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, right, is in the blocked. book, exactly, because of their political overtures. Um, yeah, um, it's very interesting to see how the Chinese government, like not just now, but over the course of the last you know, several decades since the Cultural Revolution, have dealt with this sort of um, uh, influence of of Influences outside of China, so you know you have the you know, sexual evolution going on in in the U.S. and other uh, countries outside. How does how does China import market values that are so important for its economic growth without importing all these other values? So the tension between uh, that and making sure that the population isn't spiritually polluted is very interesting. And one night stand falls under the uh,
0: uh, attempts to prevent spiritual pollution. And is that something that you see change over time? Uh, you know, do you do you feel as if the government has become more permissive about spiritual pollution? Uh, you know, uh, in some years than others, or is that has that been pretty consistent?
1: Yeah, I guess if we're looking at the you know broader picture, it's certainly it's things are much more open now than they were maybe a decade or even or two decades or even a decade ago.
0: Um, but I, I even mean in this little period of time oh, since little... the kind of microblogging services have become so popular. Yeah,
1: it's curious because right now, one night stand is uh, unblocked, at least last I check.
0: And um, foot fetish is foot a fetish. term <laughs> that had been blocked and then was unblocked.
1: Right. So yeah, there's there's a whole host of terms that are have were, were blocked were previously blocked, which I which I. Uh, identified and now are unblocked. I'm not sure we could draw a direct correlation and say that you know web was opening up or or whether or not certain terms are now you know uh, okay to use and others aren't that we haven't been able to detect, but uh, certainly based on the the keyword searches that we are able to perform now, there seems to be an opening up. yeah
0: one thing I find interesting is that there are terms that you would think would be supportive of the Chinese state and Chinese nationalism uh, that are blocked. For example, the term medicine patch flag and also the term boycott Japanese goods. So, And these are things that flash up when there's a dispute with Japan over uh, some island chain. So so why would the government want to block a term like that?
1: Yeah. um, Clearly, as you mentioned, the thermostat, I think that's a great example. Certainly, China wants to further their own interests via the internet. Um, the Chinese government authorities, they feel like the internet is, and social media is potentially of great benefit to them. And as we talked about, Xi Jinping using the um, social media as an anti-corruption uh, device. And again, they, can, they feel that social media could also be used as this sort of uh, lever uh, against um, you know foreign issues, on, on foreign issues. So for instance, uh, this dispute over these j- islands in the East China Sea with Japan, uh, they're called the Senkaku Islands in Japanese and the Diaoyu Islands in Chinese. And um, last year, there's a big dispute because the, Japan, uh, the Japanese government tried to purchase these outlines, uh, islands outright, and the Chinese government obviously was not pleased with that decision. And uh, netizens were outraged as well on their beh- on the Chinese government's. Behalf. Uh, they didn't need much prodding to suddenly go up online and, you know, they remembered the past history of Japanese colonization of China and the, the atrocities that took place. So they they were very much supportive of the government's stance of, no, we can't give in to the Japanese. Um, unfortunately, it perhaps went too far and there were street protests. There were uh, not just street, street protests, but there was uh, rioting in various uh, cities across the country and Japanese... Uh, and that's too hot. That's too hot. Yeah. So... Um, Yeah, you could see that the blocking and unblocking is related to these types of incidents.
0: And also, um, you know, there are issues about China's territorial integrity that seem to come up a lot. Tell us about the term snow lion flag.
1: Yeah, so that, that's another. Um, uh, the previous one that I mentioned, medicine patch flag, as an insult for the Chinese, uh, the Japanese government or Jap- Japan, because uh, medicine patch sort of looks like the Japanese flag, uh, the Rising Sun. So this is another flag, again uh, related to, um, I guess, an entity that has conflicts with uh, China. It's in fact uh, the Snow Lion flag was one that was popularly uh, flown by uh, Tibet. Um, in the '50s and '60s, I believe, although it wasn 't popularly flown it was but it was the na- a national emblem of sorts, but it 's now gained uh, prominence in recent years because it 's been used as a symbol for the free Tibet or Tibet independence movements and um, obviously Tibet independence is a thorny issue. Tibet is a minority group that 's acknowledged and respected by the Chinese government uh, um, like other uh, minority groups within China, unfortunately, they also have to suffer with a lot of uh, uh, discrimination um, you know economically um, you know education wise um, socially so um yeah, it's, it's a very clearly a sensitive topic.
0: You're a researcher. You're not a prognosticator. So it's unfair of me to ask you this question, but I'll ask you anyway. Uh, so we already see that there are people within China who use VPNs, who use other technologies to get around the firewall. Do you see the firewall remaining strong, or do you see uh, it nibbled away at the edges uh, in the years to come?
1: Yeah, as as an optimist, certainly, uh, I would love to be able to say you know definitively that um, that due to the you know development of these amazing tools that we have out there now, that uh, opening up will take place because of the 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 great technology that we can give to um, netizens uh, in different places around the world. Um, But I think. It's not just simply a matter of providing tools. We also have to give the government other reasons, incentives to open up. And certainly economic incentives is a major part of it. Um, And we've seen this most clearly with uh, how uh, they've handled certain things. Like, For instance, uh, when they tried to uh, shut down GitHub last year or, or earlier in the year, there was such an outrage within the software development community within China that China actually backtracked. Uh, they tried to shut it down because it was supposedly spreading this sort of uh, anti-censorship software. But because the software developers, which are an important uh, you know, key component of you know, maintaining economic growth in the country, because and, be, and because they have such, you know, uh, such a voice on, on social media, they were able to convince the government to back off from those plans. So I think ensuring that China continues to uh, develop these interconnections with the Global uh, economy within with with the global you know intellectual sphere within making making sure that China's more uh, connected I think is just as important as providing these technological tools to to the to netizens. How can our viewers
0: keep track of your work going forward?
1: Yeah, I have a blog called blockedonweibo.com which has some of the keywords in the in the book, um, so you could take a look at that, and uh, the Citizen Lab, which where I work at for now. Um, also produces great work that uh, you could take a peek at. So, yeah, I think th- that's probably uh, the best way to follow me, although I'm also on Twitter
0: at Jason Qing. Are you also on Weibo?
1: Um, I don't know or if or I have should reveal. it.
0: Weibo. <laughs> uh, well, we don't reveal okay. it, let's keep sure. it under wraps. Sounds good. It was really great to meet you. Thanks very much for your time, Jason. Oh, no, thank you, Ryan. it was a pleasure.